Welcome to the GT Podcast. I don't know if you've watched Avatar as a film. We watched it as a family. And um, there's, uh, there's a bit at the end where um, the main character, Jake, opens his eyes and it's like he suddenly becomes awake and he's got these great eyes. Aaron, could you just stay there a second? Can you can you do your impression of that moment? <laughs> so we take it in turns to do this because Aaron has great big eyes and so does Hannah and so does Morgan. I, however, had a, a lazy eyelid and cannot do this. And, and this is me doing my best impression of it. But the boys tell me that is really just eyebrows. Um, but my eye, my eyes don't actually open that wide. Um, and so then the boys do an impression of me doing this where they go, Ooh, that's like dad at full opening. Um, but, <laughs> so, but um, how are we doing on this one? Oh, no battery. Um, so, uh, yeah, that mo- in that moment of the film, that, that character becomes fully awake, whether he, he unplugs from uh, the Avatar world and somehow becomes fully awake and alive in the world that he is then in and he becomes an avatar or a you know whatever that um tribe is called one of those big tall skinny blue things um and so he he wakes up fully into that world and and it's kind of i think that film is probably for gen z what uh matrix was for my generation in that it's like a film about kind of making a decision whether you really want to wake up to the truth of all that is uh, available. Um, and and that's, I guess that rep- that moment represents something that we in, in, in our ministry, that's, that's what we're about. That's what we want to see is, is people be fully awake spiritually, whether that's healing, like physical healing that then leads to emotional spiritual healing or whether it's um somebody who's been like sleeping or even nearly dead maybe in terms of their spiritual life uh, that are then resuscitated there's another great moment um in cinematography uh, that we loved have used it a few times in in um talks where that represents this kind of moment that we long to see where uh, it's from lost um, I don't know if you've seen Lost. Again, dates me a little bit. But anyway, it's a great series for the first few series. And then it's rubbish. <laughs> anyway, um, so, but there's a moment where there's a character called Jack uh, and he gets hung in a tree by someone else and it looks like he's dead. But there's a character called, character called Jack who's a doctor and he's just like not giving up and he's sort of beating on his chest and he's like, come on, you're going to come around like trying to do mouth to mouth. He's like... I really think you can come around. He's, you know, he's desperate. He's like, come on, Jack. But then it looks like he's gone. So he sort of gives up and Kate and other characters are like, okay, gutted. Like it's an awful moment. But then he go, he refuses and he goes back to it and he starts beating Jack's chest again until there's this moment when he's just like, <gasps> like comes around, you know, and you're like, no way. And that's the sort of moment, I guess, for me that I'm like, that's kind of why I'm in ministry. That's why I care. Uh, because spiritually, I think those people who are, dead or dying or just not awake to all the potential that is available to them life and life in all its full and there's people walking around having life and life in all its emptiness or just half full or you know just what 
missing out basically. And so I'm like, come on, there's so much available. And I kind of, I find it confusing when people aren't interested in being spiritually awake and they're they're happy to settle for a half measure of life. So awakeness is something that's like been a thread for us for quite uh, a while. Um, Yes. Um, Yeah. Have we got another battery in the, uh, uh, we'll we'll just tag team it with this one. That's fine. So then a few years ago, we're at New Wine. What happened there? So March 2020, we went to New Wine Leaders and um, we, uh, a guy called Simon Gilbo was speaking. He um, f- went straight from university to, I can't remember, Burundi, the, Burundi um, to share the gospel, basically. And he um, didn't really think he would get to the end of his 20s because it's such a dangerous place to live he knew lots of people that that died out there and that's and he was prepared to do that he was like that's this is what this is what I want to do I want to just give everything to this and if I die that's fine um anyway he's now he's probably a bit older than us isn't he so like mid 40s he's got kids and he's come back to to live in the UK um mostly for them to get some good education um I think um and so anyway in this talk he was talking about like being a wide awake and also the sort of the way that Satan um kind of like lulls us into a sleep with distraction and thing and all the way through this talk he just kept going rockabye baby and like this and then like sharing a bit more about what what he's seen and then what he sees now like coming back to the UK where people are just like oh there's a new Netflix drama out let's watch that rockabye baby and it's just like there's so much distraction um around us and it was so so powerful for me I just was like oh my gosh yeah, this is exactly what's going on. We really need to wake up to this. And then two weeks later, we went into lockdown. And so the, like, I literally forgot what it said, you know, like then you're like not thinking about that. You're just like, oh my gosh, trying to survive. We were all faced with this like real threat of death. That's what we were told at the time. That's, it was real. You know, we could only go out of a house for an hour a day, all that sort of stuff. So this, this message sort of got lost really as we then, we I think we became very alert to the threat of COVID, but I think we lost some spiritual alertness in that as well. I I certainly felt like we, as we tried to come back together afterwards, there was a sense of like, we're all a bit sleepier after this. Would you agree? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the, the, the threat thing, which is fair enough, I understand why that happened, but... I think it also switched on a self-centered part of us where people were like, understandably, but people were like, I'm not sure the government really know what's going on. I don't really know what's going on. I don't want to die. I don't want to get COVID. So I'm going to look out for me, which is like, so I get that. Probably it happens to each one of us. That's not a critical thing. I just, I think that probably in our, in the spiritual climate of the nation, now it did affect everyone. So, uh, the self kind of preservation thing within each of us was heightened because we kind of needed to, but then spiritually something is numbed when that happens. Um, and we're also looking after ourselves. And, and also the other thing is when we go into lockdown, we're in our homes the whole time, spending time looking at our homes and what do we need and the comfort and like our own world became a little bit more, everything got a bit more comfortable and a little bit more, uh, insular 
uh, as a result of it. Um, and I think the quality of our standard of living, for the, not for everyone in this country, but for those of us who are probably more in a middle-class sphere, and that's not everyone, but just probably for those of us who are in that place, um, the standard of living became like something to maintain. Uh, and I, I think that's been a bit of an idol in, in our culture of we must maintain a certain level of comfort standing living. When the cost of living is going up, you're thinking, well, how can I maintain that? Things are going to get more expensive. How am I going to manage that rather than what am I going to cut so that I can be more generous, you know, or whatever it happens to be. Um, I work with a guy called Rich and he's used a phrase um, that God, God isn't interested in maintaining our standard of living. He's, in, he's interested in us living to his standards. But like script, like biblically, that's always true. He's, he's never interested in maintaining anyone's standard of living. He lets people go into exile and whatever. He doesn't want that for them. But he's not desperate to make people have really comfortable lives. It's just not, that's just not, not his game. Um, but he is interested in people living to his standards. Like not, you know what I mean by that? having holy, righteous standard for how we live. He is interested in those things. Um, but we've become we've got a different idol, which is of our standard of living somehow. Uh, shall I talk a bit about... So, uh, awakeness, um, in, in uh, speaking last week at, um, at this conference, Wide Awake at Fusion, I thought there's just a few things that would be worth sharing with us too as a community. I don't know if you, you guys can see the screen there. It's going to be difficult to read what's on the screen, I think, but maybe you could move over a little bit more into the empty seats. But um, the um, Let's have Randy Gardner up. Ran, I like Randy Gardner. There he is. Yeah, he was a high school student in 1964, and he tried to stay awake for longer than anyone had ever managed in history. He is, supposedly, he is the person that has stayed awake for the longest. Um, anyone want to guess who wasn't that wide awake? How long did he stay awake? 48 hours, is that what you said? A week? 70 hours. Let's go in days. Five, six. <laughs> That's not days. <laughs> translate, translate today. I'll, I'll tell you. It was 11 days. Um, and so he, he was uh, so a high school student, which I think is like interesting that they let him do this. But anyway, under 18 and was um, kept awake by all of his mates, basically, who took it in turns to throw things at him and have conversation with him and walk with him and do whatever else. And he was also strapped up to an ECG, EEG, what would it be, Jamie? EEG? EEG <laughs> thing. Um on his brain, so they could see what was happening. And what they discovered is um, that he was actually having microsleeps. Um, he he couldn't stay awake. He he looked like he was awake the whole time, but he was actually having microsleeps, and and certain parts of his brain had shut off while another part was awake, and and it just did its own thing. If you stay awake for too long, um, you damage your brain. Because in order for us to be fully awake, we have to rest, which is the first thing about being a human and being, we're not God, although he rested as well. Uh, although I've always wondered why didn't he carry on that rhythm? You know, he did rest on the seventh day, but then, you know, anyway, ever since then, he's just cracked. He's available the whole time. Anyway, what's that about? So, 
let's not really get into what that is about. Uh, um, but, but in order to be fully awake, we need to rest. Uh, kids probably need eight to ten hours of sleep a night, and adults probably need seven to nine hours a night, and parents probably get about three to four hours <laughs> if you've got little ones. Um, Lucky. Three to four is like a good night yeah. with little ones. With little, it's so hard with little ones. Yeah. Anyway, I'm quite glad we haven't got little ones anymore. <laughs> um, so wh- the other interesting thing about sleep um, is when you don't get enough sleep, your pers- and think about this for the spiritual as well, When you don't get enough sleep and you don't get enough rest, your perception of how much rest you need or have had is warped. So they've done done tests where one group gets plenty of sleep, one group gets not very much sleep, and one group gets hardly any sleep at all. And the group who have hardly any sleep at all think they're fine. Like, because you lose track or accurate perception of whether you're okay or not which highlights how much we need rest to actually know how well we're doing. Um, right, shall I talk about Revelation 3, or do you want to chip in on that? On our little tag team? No, I think you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like winging things, and Hannah's less comfortable so doing it. So she's doing great, know. isn't she? She's doing really well. I, I said yes to it because it's good for me. But Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um along the lines of awakeness and what I was just saying about the church being spiritually awake or not um I really feel like revelation 3 has has uh, spoken to me the the red letter cities that we looked at a few years ago as G2 and um, these are the cities these these are the letters that Jesus writes to the seven churches seven being the number of completion. Um, so when he writes in a vision to John, um, then this is the Jesus saying, say this to this church, say this to this church. And he, and he writes to seven actual cities that really existed with churches in them. But he, he, the reason he writes to seven is because it's the number of completeness, the number of wholeness. So he's writing to all of the church, including us today. So each of the letters are relevant to each of us. But particularly, I feel like Revelation 3 is the message for the church in the UK at the moment. It speaks to me of where we're at right now. And um, and we've we've read this a few times recently as well. I think it came up on the weekend away. Um, you can read it. That would be great. Yeah. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Um, And when I read this, I just, I think this 
is I think this is what I feel Jesus would say to us if if he was saying something to a to the church of the UK he might he might say something completely different but I think this resonates for where we're at partly because if you click onto the next one there's three things that really jump out to me the first one is reputation um and the church here we in the UK as opposed to globally we have a great reputation we're famous around the world for the influence we've had this church the church in the UK has had global influence partly through the, the power and money that it's had but partly through the missionaries uh, missionary sending movements that have come from here and and a number of other factors as well but we've got a great reputation um reputation is image like if you're aware of your reputation so i think he says this jesus says this to the church in sardis because partly what he says to a lot of the different churches he names what is effectively their idols and sort of bursts those bubbles so the reason he says you have a reputation of being alive i mean that's if i was to say to dan Dan, I've heard, mate, you've got a great reputation of being alive. I mean, that's such a weird thing to say to someone. Like, he's clearly alive. So what a weird thing to say, he's got a reputation of being alive. So clearly it's about how they perceive themselves to be known, their reputation. So it's an image um, and and probably a, a level of comparison and power maybe against other people. So we are really alive. There's lots of exciting worship. There's great teaching that comes from our culture. We've got all sorts of things going on in our church. Um, and so he's saying you've got a great reputation. But the kicker is, you're dead. What, what an absolute brutal thing to say <laughs> to a church. Like you, you're known for being alive, but it, you're basically a zombie because you look like you're alive, but you're dead. What's going on? Although clearly he's talk, mind you, I mean, this is a, this is Jesus. This is a re- post-resurrection Jesus. So he doesn't see death as the end. Um, but he's like, wake up, come back like Lazarus. It's time to wake up, to come back. Don't remain in this slumber. Um, and what we can do about it, the second thing jumps out, is strengthen, edify one another, build each other up, strengthen what remains, invest in what is. Because not everyone has become dead some people are awake not everyone has soiled their clothes when i did when i spoke at the uh the fusion conference this week when i said not everyone has soiled their clothes about four people out of about 100 in the room just went <laughs> i was like yeah you know you're at a student work gathering when that happens you guys didn't do it so you know i don't know what that says probably good things um and the and so the final thing that jumps out is repent um, and know when we need forgiveness. Um, I, I think in our culture, certainly with a student generation, but I think it's true for all of us, particularly post uh, like social media influence. Um, not everyone, not everyone in today's culture. And if you think about your friends who maybe don't know Jesus, I don't think people think they need forgiveness. I don't think that's people's natural posture but it used to be so in their 50s 60s in this country when billy graham was visiting preaching in massive arenas and millions of people giving their life to jesus his message is um we're all fallen we're we all sin we all fall short of the glory of god you just need to but there's a great response because all you need to do is ask for forgiveness and it's given to you it's a free gift it's available come to the foot of the cross and give your life to jesus and everyone did but if you say that now they're like what do you mean i'm 
need forgiveness. A, I don't think I've done anything wrong. I've not tried to be nasty. I've tried to be a nice person. So they don't like perceive their need for forgiveness. So the message of repent is a difficult one. Um, but what's really encouraging is the gospel doesn't only work on that message. There's all sorts of cultures in this world. And actually, it's mainly been the Western culture that has had this uh, guilt forgiveness paradigm. And there's, that's a, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just how some cultures are. In the East, Eastern cultures tend to be based more around shame uh, and honour. And so that language connects more to them. And then more of an African or some sub-Saharan uh, cultures tend to be interested more in the power, like spiritual powers uh, and, uh, and, and leadership stuff. So whether that's like witch doctors or whatever, like interest in the spiritual realm that is we don't um, see necessarily, but you see the effects of it. But what's fascinating is probably in our culture, we've in the last 10 years have, I think, exacerbated by lockdown and social media. We've become a lot more like the Eastern and the African cultures. So people now, certainly uh, Gen Z, but I think all sorts of people, they're, they're definitely switched on to the fact there's a spiritual world. You don't, you don't mean that many atheists anymore. People are like, there's probably something weird going on, but I don't know what it is, but they're alert to something. And definitely more interested in the shame. The shame honor thing is like pretty big, I think, because of social media things and just how we experience the world. So we need to figure out how we speak the gospel because pe because everyone ultimately does need to repent. So it's just about how we communicate that message. What do you mean by shame honor? Uh, so, sh well, shame honor would be in in the culture itself. Uh, in in Eastern cultures, th uh, the um, the, the system of living is maintained by if you uh, by you you honor your elders there's loads of stuff to do with ancestry and whatever and it honoring ancestors and you're shamed if you don't do that like so you're afraid of being ashamed so that maintains the culture but uh then then in terms of the the gospel um there's all sorts of languages there's all sorts of ways of communicating the gospel the same gospel the one gospel but just in a way that makes sense to that culture so just not the guilt forgiveness paradigm if you like that doesn't necessarily connect to everyone but they might be much more interested in knowing that we're adopted sons and daughters that we're princes and princesses in his kingdom that he doesn't see us as like no matter what we've done he will still love us and like not shame us. Um, so that language might make more sense mm. to that culture. And then in terms of the African culture, knowing that um, we have power over all dominions, that God is uh, the God of all things, not, you know, every, all spiritual beings mm. um, come under him. And casting out demons is much more the kind of thing that you might expect to see in that kind of culture, because that's their lens. But if that is beginning to be this culture's lens as well, then we need to figure out how to communicate the gospel in that way to, mm. to say that. So I do think the demonic is probably something we'll see more of because there'll be more receptivity to seeing freedom from that stuff. That's what I mean by it. Um, okay. You've got a nice little table to show I've got, us. I've got a table, but yeah. do you want to do that now or do you want to do, because uh, we could talk about your bit now. Um, that would fit. Okay. Let's do that. <laughs>
Great. Um, well, I guess in terms of the demonic, I'm. this is a bit bold to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, and I, if you disagree, it's totally fine. Um, but I think one of the enemy's tactics at the moment is the culture of... Um, sorry, self-care, is the culture of self-care that we live in. So so that's why it's bold, because it's everywhere, is self-care, and it's talked about a lot. Um, but um, it, what self-care does is it, is it says, like the culture of self-care, that's what I mean. So doing self-care, if you're like someone that does self-care, I'm not saying you are demonic, please don't hear that. But I'm saying the cultural shift of self-care I think is enemy's tactics because it is taking our eyes off Jesus, who is the only one can, that can really care for us in the way that we need it. And it's saying, you do you, you look after you. And it and it speaks into a culture of burnout and then needing um, needing to do nothing. So it's, and, it, and it's like speaking into like a toxic culture. This culture of self-care says things like, um, you know, if if someone isn't celebrating you, cut them out of your life. Like, that is not what the Bible says. That's just not true. But it, the, the culture of self-care says things like, and make sure you hydrate, and make sure you have a bath, make sure you have a long walk. They are all really good things to do, but we've got to make sure we're doing them for the right reasons. And when and this, the culture of self-care says, you do that because you deserve it. Do that because you need it. And do that because no one else is going to look after you. And that isn't biblical. And so I um, I think that we desperately need to learn how to, to rest in God. Um, but And the, so the reason I think the culture of self-care is demonic is because it's pulling us away from resting in God and it's teaching us to rest in ourselves and it's teaching us to only rely on ourselves instead of pressing into God so all of the like ways of doing self-care in and of themselves are not bad but there's a way of doing that where we're pressing into God or there's a way of doing that where we're isolating God out of that where we're not inviting the Holy Spirit and we're just going yeah I need I need to do this for myself um, and, um, you know, Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I think that's really key. The unforced rhythms of grace. Where so and that's like speaking not into just oh so now you need a rest but it's like the whole our whole life is this unforced rhythm of walking with God so that everything we're doing is with Him and and in the grace that Jesus offers us. I won't lay anything anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live fri- freely and lightly so that whatever's going on whatever if it's like we have just had the busiest week that I can ever remember but there's still a way of doing that and I'm not sure that I have been totally successful at doing that of like doing that in a way that's free and light and um and I I think I let let the heaviness in and like drowned in it a little bit but I want to keep persevering in the lightness of that and what that means to still do that with God and rest in that and and develop rhythms that that work overall yeah it's interesting that it says walk with me and work with me isn't it in terms of resting not just being idle time yeah exactly yeah and 
yeah that it's not like um we're doing a little bit uh like on this next week it's zone sunday and we're looking at how we connect with god in different ways and like we'll see a video from lids which is brilliant but like lydia goes for a walk every morning but i i really love that that that's like that's how you rest with God but you're also like listening to a podcast or worshipping but it's it's like active rather than just I'm going to stay in bed for an extra 45 minutes kind of thing it's like pressing into God instead of pressing into ourselves yeah um the the other thing you just mentioned about the self-help thing you mentioned about cutting people out of your life um and this sort of cancel culture way of just operating individually as well like cancelling people um and and I, I think we need to name this stuff, if I'm honest. And I, I, I've, I've been like, I kind of been wondering about this kind of thing for a while and thinking, oh, I can't say that. I don't want to upset anyone. And I thought, I've just got to start saying this stuff because there's a load of nonsense out there. And one, one of the things is the phrase, that person is a bit of a toxic person. And I think we need to spot these things and call them rubbish. There's no such thing as a toxic person. When God create, when God had the idea of this person and knitted them together in their mother's womb, he didn't actually accidentally spill toxins into that person. There's no such thing as a toxic person. There might be somebody who's possessed by a demon, in which case let's deal with that. But there isn't such thing as a toxic person. So there's only people that are made in the image of God. There's only people that Jesus was willing to die for. Because he was willing to do that for all of humanity. So if there's a person who you find unhelpful or who you, someone you're chatting to is saying, I find this person really unhelpful, I think they're a toxic person, they're not. They're, you can't have a toxic person, but you can go, I'm going to have good boundaries and I find when I hang out with them too much, it's unhelpful because they're, they're not open to my perspective and it just ends up being a bit difficult. Okay, so fair enough. So put some good boundaries in place, but that's just learning how to be a person and have, you know, do do humaning quite well. Um, but I, do, you know, do you get what I'm saying with that? I just think we need to name this stuff because actually that whoever that person is that's being referred to is an image bearer made in the image of God. So, um, I, but I guess it's different than we talk about abusers. Okay. Because? <laughs> well, because, well, I'm not, I, I don't know. Cause I didn't know you were going to talk about this. Um, <laughs> because if you've got, if there's a, an adult who was abused as a child and they, then that, that person to them is toxic to them. But, but, I think what you're saying is then sometimes that language just drifts into general stuff. But then yeah, it, th- there are times where you do, where you would be like, oh, I yeah, there's not- time, I'm saying there's times when you might want to say, I'm not going to spend time with this person. I suppose what I'm saying is it doesn't mean that that person is toxic, although they may have had an incredibly negative effect on your life. Yeah. But it's more about the redemptive attitude towards what could potentially happen in that person's life. I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle if someone's had a really difficult experience like that. Yeah, I am. And you're right. I am more saying it creeps into normal language. And what you really mean is I find that person a bit annoying and I don't want to do the growing up of having to develop my own personality so I can cope with them because it would be easier to just say they're toxic, cut them out. But what then happens to community is it gets narrower and narrower and narrower until we only can hang out with the small group of people that we actually don't find annoying and then all the enemy has to do is put a little wedge in between there and you've got no one you're lonely and depression kicks in and on mental health you know so i'm just like it's his tactics whereas god comes in and says 
all things are redeemable. Let's let work together in community and le learn to live with one another and bear with one another is the gospel way. So, yeah. Okay. I think we should see your table. Oh, yeah. My, my <laughs> periodic table of teaching. Um, okay, so this is about being awake. So... Uh, if we want to be, so actually, actually, I feel like we should probably let people chat amongst themselves before we okay. go into that. Um, we just said a load of stuff. So why don't you chat to the person next to you about what stuck out so far uh, about being awake? Perhaps it was about some of the stuff Han said about self-care. Maybe it was about some of the stuff that I said about Revelation 3 and having a reputation of being alive or the rest and the sleep stuff. Um so just, just chat for a few minutes with the person next to you about what's stuck out so far. Okay. So um, let's, talk, let's talk a little bit about being, being as awake as possible. I was just thinking, I wonder how awake someone could be. And obviously, in order to be fully awake, we talked about needing to rest well. But there's other things that are factors in being physically awake. And I just think it lends itself really well spiritually as well. So uh, exercise is crucial. So if, you, if you're inactive, you are not going to be a person who is physically really awake. You become lethargic and sleepy. And in the same way, Paul writes uh, in 2 Timothy about the discipleship journey and describes it as being a bit more like being a farmer or an athlete or a soldier, which are not lethargic characters, are they? They're like hardworking, diligent people. And so he's like, in order to be spiritually awake, it is going to require hard work and like activity. So exercise, good diet. Um, and, uh, and so that, that's true physically, but also spiritually. So what are we consuming? Are we consuming like spiritual dopamine um, or like spiritual sugar that makes us, you know, kind of enthusiastic for a little bit and then dozy and sleepy again? What would that look like? Um, are we consuming um, the right kind of diet in terms of the milk to meat stuff that is in Corinthians or the bread of heaven. Like there's, there's lots of ways of looking at our spiritual diet, but what we are taking in, is it giving us like long-term energy release? If you know what I mean, if it was that, if it was the physical analogy um, or is it just short-term stuff that's going to not do us any good? Um, we also need conversation in order to stay awake or be fully fully alert. You do, we do need to talk to people, um, even people who are introverted <laughs> need a bit of that. Um, and we're made for real community. We need to speak to one another to uh, to have deep committed relationships. We are the body of Christ. Um, we we've talked already a bit about sleep, but we also can do with naps. That does really well. Hannah read out that scripture, Matthew eleven. Um, hydration. We also need that to be spiritually, to be physically awake. And uh, and in, in Isaiah 55, it says, come to the water, all who are thirsty. Jesus says to the woman at the well, I will give you a water that will mean you'll never thirst again. Like he, he is the living water. Um, we also need light. If you're sensorily, sensorily deprived, it can be really difficult to stay awake. And 1 Thessalonians 5 is the passage that's all about you're children of the light, children of the day, you're not children of the darkness. So live in the light and, and don't live in the, in the nighttime. Um, bring things into the light. Um, so that's about being, being fully awake. But then here's some tips about remaining wide awake. 
some ways in which we can uh, stay awake. So snipers need to stay awake because if they're like, you know, waiting for their target, um, is this is this is me being a sniper. Um, if they're found having gone by their by their soldier that's in charge of them, then they get in trouble. So they have to stay awake, and so they do stop, look, listen, smell in order to remain awake. And when I discovered this, I thought that's re- there's a really interesting analogy in terms of helping us to wake up again spiritually when we find ourselves dozing off. Um, and I realized it's really like what the Ignatians do, the, um, the Jesuits, the, um, the Ignatian uh, contemplative Christianity is a, a way of, of praying. And this is, uh, this is what they do. Um, I don't know if they nicked it off the snipers, if they, or the snipers nicked it off them. Um, but if we pause, it's like the stop bit, pause for a minute, take a deep breath. Be still and know that I'm God. Take a moment. Um, and then look. What do I, what can I see? What have I noticed in the last hour? Where was God at work? What did I miss? Or what can I see in the culture? But the snipers are going, there's a car over there and a bush over there. They literally name what they can see. Um, and then listen. They're think, again, the snipers are, are thinking, you know, I can hear a stream, the trees. Um, but what, what can we hear? In the, what can we hear the Holy Spirit saying? Are we listening? That's what he's saying. Well, we switched off to that. But that physical sense and spiritual sense wakes us up um and then smell again uh the snipers are thinking whether they can smell like a fire for coming from a chimney somewhere or uh the morning dew or something like that so but what can we smell spiritually is an interesting one um maybe it's the aroma of christ or something but you know when you spot christ in someone else um, but maybe there's other things that you, that in other ways in which your senses become alert. So um, I think in terms of re- us remaining awake in a culture that is trying to get us to doze off, it, where where Satan is going, this is great. If I can get all the Christians to just be so comfortable and think everything's fine, don't worry, everything's absolutely fine. Just chill, just leave it. Just don't. You don't need to tell anyone about Jesus. They know, they they know where the church is. The churches are all over the place. If Christ, if people want to become a Christian, they'll walk in. Just everything's fine. So that's what the enemy's saying. But if we're wanting to wake up to that and go, hang on, that's not true at all. They won't know if they're welcome. Perhaps they they need to be invited. Um, then the stop, look, listen, smell method is a helpful one of just going, okay, just take 30 seconds. I'm going to do that. Um, so let's do that now. Let's take 30 seconds to just, on your own, in silence, go through the stop, look, listen, smell. Okay, and then the final thing that I just want to say about awakeness is about overstimulation and how hard it is to remain awake when we're overstimulated. Holly spoke about this. Uh, we put the um, 
that our phones into a big Tupperware thing. Um, and uh, what maybe, maybe if you were there, this is really interesting. You might not have known this. Fiona was looking after the kids. Actually, she's right now um, in the kids' work. So she wasn't in that session when we all put our phones into the big, really useful box. Um, and then we had the barbecue, family, you know, vibes, kids running around. Everyone's like playing games and things. Uh, and Fiona was, was sort of looking at it all and said to Hannah, this is something different about everyone. What's going on? And she had no idea. She was like, this is like, what is it? And suddenly she was like, oh, no one's got their phones. What, what, where, what happened? But she noticed it. Isn't that fascinating that she spotted the difference in a community atmosphere when no one had their phone on them? Amazing. Because we're so overstimulated. Apparently, we have a 40-second attention span, and then, our, and then our mind wants to be distracted with something now. That used to be much longer. Um, so uh, we, in order for us to be awake, we need to have idle time, which is like task-negative space. This is This is just... This isn't the spiritual comment necessarily. It's just what people, psychologists are saying. We need that in order for our brains to be fully alive. We need to have uh, time when we can just let our minds wander. And when we do that, for 12%, when we just have some time, a gap in which we just let our minds wander, 12% of the time we think about the past. 28% of the time we think about the present. 48% of the time, we think about the future. And for those of you who are really hot at maths, you're going, but what about the other 12%? And for people, I would have been like this. I would have just assumed that I added up to 100. So there's 12% left. And that is blank. It's just basically when our brains just go, and like, you just need a bit of dull space and your brain kind of recalibrates and reorders and you're not particularly thinking about anything. And we need that in order to go on. What were you going to say? Well, I think that only happens when I'm driving and I'm really worried because, you know, <laughs> and sometimes you're like, how the crap did I get here? I have no idea. No, no I, I don't know that. So I genuinely don't know oh. that feeling. <laughs> but I, I, like... I don't think I have blank time any other time. But you sometimes just blank out while driving. Okay. <laughs> Well, <laughs> let's not tell the insurance company. But <laughs> uh, anyway, it feels like uh, distraction is the enemy of alertness, but it isn't. Overstimulation is the enemy of alertness, and distraction is just a consequence. It's a symptom of an overstimulated mind. So we need to find ways, if we want to be fully awake spiritually, we need to find ways of cutting things out that overstimulate us. So as a student at this uh, at the Fusion Conference who gave testimony to this, and he was like, in his second year at university, he just said, I just realized I had loads of things in my life that were fine. Everything was fine. Like nothing was bad. Everything, like everything was really good. So he decided to cut out things which were fine. In his language, like things which were permissible or permissible, you know, things that are not sin or whatever. So just for example, Netflix or social media or um, drinking alcohol or whatever. So he's like, I'm allowed to do all those things, but I decided to fast different things that were allowed, but I was just going to not do them just to see what happened. And he was like, I totally, it was like waking up. It was like my, my whole spiritual life just took off. That's not a surprise because there's a whole load of things that were distracting him because he was overstimulated. And as soon as he started to cut those things out, a part of his spiritual self woke up and so i think that is something that is offer on offer to all of us we need to be under stimulated in order to be fully awake
Okay. Let's worship together. Mm. Why don't we just start by standing? Move into space if you want a bit of space. I know some people just like to stretch a little bit. I just want to start by praying off any sense of uh, shame or guilt that might have come in as we were speaking, because that is not our intention and it is definitely not God's intention. So if there's anyone here feeling like anything that looks like shame or guilt in the name of Jesus, we cast that off. And we open our hands for freedom. There might be areas where we're convicted or areas where we're feeling a little nudge areas of our lives that we want to do things differently and so let's open our arms to to what Jesus might be saying and let's step into that without any sense of shame or guilt but just know that that is an invitation and that Jesus won't force us to do anything And I kept having this picture of um, of water, like splashing down, really, as as we were talking, and that um, story that Luke quickly said about the woman at the well, who Jesus said, um, "I have water that mean, means you'll never be thirsty again. It's the living water." And I've got a sense that there's there's a few of us in the room that would like that water or would like more of that water that we'd like to be soaked in that water we'd like to lie in a stream and be covered in that water we'd like a great big pint of that water maybe we'd just like to taste it So, Father God, I pray for a soaking. I pray for more of your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would know what that tastes like and smells like and feels like. Father God, help us to be awake, fully awake. Help us to be alert to what your spirit is doing around us. Help us to be alert to our communities, to our friends, our family, and what you might be doing in them. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's sing together.